0: The world has moved on, and time has grown strange. Ka's a wheel, Doc.
1: Ka? What does Ka mean? It
0: means you're playing someone who's going to destroy you. All oh, things serve
1: beam. Tell the man in black I say hello. The world as Roland had always known it would be swept away. It starts here. From its field of roses, the dark tower cries out in its beast's voice. Time is a base on the water.
0: Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King, hosted by two lifelong constant readers. We do non-spoiler and spoiler reviews of King's published work and take a critical look at his film and television adaptations as well. We also discuss the latest King news and check in with each other on our ongoing King obsessions. It's the podcast where all things serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Pod. And follow us on Twitter and every other level of social media at Tower Junkies Pod. And if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash viewer for a ridiculous amount of bonus content spread across all of ObsessiveViewer.com's various podcasts, including a special $4 monthly tier that gets you access to only the Stephen King related content on Patreon, where, which includes uh, uh, commentary tracks, book reaction reviews, uh, immediate reactions to movies, TV shows, all of this stuff. Um, a bunch of stuff. So again, that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm currently doing a weekly, uh, series on the Holly Gibney universe. So I'm doing, uh, read along reviews of all the Holly Gibney related fiction and Stephen King's canon. So I did, um, uh, three-part series on Mr. Mercedes, a three-part series on Finders Keepers, a four-part series on End of Watch, and I'm currently working on The Outsider in a four-part series. So that's all at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and today on the show, we're continuing our journey to the Dark Tower with a look at The Gunslinger Chapter 4, titled The Slow Mutants, and joining me to do that, of course, is... Tiny. Hi Tiny. How are you doing this evening? Hey, bud. I am doing fantastical. How are you? Great. I'm doing quite well. We did a uh another kind of thing, another plug for Patreon, but we did a um pre-show recording for Patreon that is uh basically what, what we're calling the wheel of cob, where we kind of talk freely about the series. Uh, in a warm-up recording so we had a nice little chat on there about uh about jake chambers and david the hawk so uh that was a lot of fun what did you think of it
1: yeah good times i appreciate you uh, putting those together it's uh, i appreciate the thought you put into it
0: oh yeah thank you yeah i and i it's funny because i uh i had two two bullet points there that i just completely forgot to even bring up so maybe we'll hit that <laughs> next take it time it back yeah uh but yeah but uh, yeah so check that out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer uh before we get into the show we're gonna do a little bit of stephen king news and check-ins um uh i don't have much here um and i don't have uh i i only have one piece of stephen king news um do you want me to go ahead and and give you that tiny yeah, sure. Okay. So, Stephen King 4 days ago tweeted um a picture of Molly aka the thing of evil, his uh beloved dog uh with a um surgical kind of mark on on the back of her neck, uh saying that she um and there hasn't really been an update from him uh regarding uh, the results or anything but the the picture the post the tweet rather was molly aka the thing of evil had surgery yesterday to have a tumor removed from her neck all kidding aside she's actually a very good dog and we hope the biopsy will show it was benign um and then he followed it up uh with thank you to all the people who uh expressed concern and love for molly aka the thing of evil i am very grateful. Um, so he hasn't posted anything, um, about Molly, but, uh, hopefully she's, hopefully she's okay. And hopefully everything, uh, uh, is, is okay. And hopefully she has many more years of evilness to, (laughs) to attend to. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, Poor puppy. Yeah. Little, little puppy. Um, (laughs) I still really want that Funko pop. That's him and him and molly um <laughs> like oh
1: yeah i didn't even know that was a thing
0: oh yeah it's i don't i don't know if it was a limited thing or i, I don't know but it's it's something that i've all like i don't really get into the funko pop things anymore i used to have a whole box full of them and i'm like i like i didn't really have shelving to put them on or anything and and i was just like i like i just gave them to half price books <laughs> like i just i just sold them all <laughs> um yeah but i would probably i would probably get get that one um yeah nice yeah uh so that's the only piece of stephen king news that i have though <laughs> uh okay. yeah do you have any check-ins tiny
1: um i i don't have a stephen king check-in but mm-hmm. i did um recently download the libby app on
0: yes
1: my my, on my phone and i got set up on there and the first book that i was able to get a loan for was uh one that you recently reviewed and it's in mm. the thriller okay. genre uh the house across the lake by riley Sager. oh
0: nice very nice yeah. uh, the, I, put like,
1: I did like six holds on books and that was <laughs> the first one that became available so i was like all right i'll take it and uh nice. i'm only i'm only like 60 70 pages in as mm. of yesterday uh, so, I'm not that far into it, but it's, it's I'm liking it so far. So, sweet.
0: Yeah. yeah um, okay. Let me go on a bit of a tangent here or a okay. big spiel for Libby because this thing changed my damn life. Um, if you, it, I, I was going to, I was going to say, if you're into audiobooks and stuff, but if you're into any books, obviously, if you're listening to the, this podcast, you are, you know, you are at least literate. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I, it, I my preferred way to to consume a book is through audiobook. Um for years I've had a subscription to Audible 14.99 a month for one credit each month. They have sales for credits or sales for uh books where audiobooks where it's like okay, yeah, if they if I see a book that I really want that's less than that it's on sale for less than 14.99, I'll purchase it um if i have the if i have the money and everything so i have amassed a library of like 245 audiobooks <laughs> on audible um and i i've made a very good dent in it um i'm down to like 130 i think that i i haven't listened to um but Three, four months ago, I uh, got an updated library card since I moved last year, Um, and I just downloaded Libby, and Libby is freaking amazing, and libraries are freaking amazing, (laughs) Um, and I have gone through like 40 audiobooks on Libby since May, and that's insane. Yeah, so that's my plug for Libby. Yeah, I'm very, very
1: happy. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm liking it so far. I'm going to use it for like eBooks. Um Nice. Because I, I, th- I want to be able to like listen to one on audible, but I don't, I don't listen to audible a ton. And mm-hmm. so then I can read one on my phone when I have downtime or, nice. or whatever. So yeah,
0: I like that. Yeah. And that, that's another thing that I, um, part of the, the library, the Indianapolis public library, they're, they, they, actually tomorrow is the end of it but um they're they're doing a summer reading challenge where uh if you you log your reading and everything and each each milestone you get like a ticket and you can submit those tickets for raffles and everything so um <laughs> I I've been doing that all summer and I've gotten like 40 some tickets and the prize packs they have for it are pretty interesting. There's like a whole like tier of them for coffee. Like either you can get like a French press or a Keurig machine and uh, a, a bunch of like coffee related stuff. Or you can get like a a, a spa day package uh, for local like spa places or something here. Um, but then they have the library lover where you can get a, like a Kindle paperwhite and uh free eBooks and stuff and like a free case and mug and stuff, uh, for it. And I'm just like, I put all of my tickets in the, in the ebook one. Cause I don't have, I used to have a Kindle and I used to have a tablet, but I don't have those anymore. Um, this was years and years ago. And I was just like, you know, I should definitely get like a Kindle. I should get an ebook reader so that I can like physically read books uh, for a change. Um, and also, also the great thing about Libby is that you can, you can download it onto an, an ebook, ebook player, um, <laughs> like a device, <laughs> like a Kindle, uh, and have it like open in Kindle and get, ebooks. I, that's really room. cool. Yeah. So very cool stuff. But anyway, all that's to say that I, uh, am thinking about getting in and getting back into eBooks. um, nice yeah. yeah just the portability of it's good too uh, sure yeah so anyway uh in terms of check-ins for me i don't really have much of anything except that i've been going through the outsider for the patreon stuff on sundays a uh, lot of like i'm i'm getting a lot out of that novel um uh this is my second or third time reading it um you've you've read the outsider I have I really liked it, okay, nice, yeah, 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 I don't think we ever like actually covered it properly, um I don't think we did no, but yeah i'm I'm glad you liked it i'm I'm really liking it too mm-hmm. um, so that's that, um in terms of books that are not stephen king that i've I've uh consumed lately, uh today, I just finished Geneva rose's um uh you shouldn't have come here which was such a blast. So (laughs) it is this thriller about a woman who is on vacation. She uh, goes to a ranch that's an Airbnb and then thrillery stuff happens. Um, and she gets kind of close with the, the man who lives there and then thrillery things happen. um, (laughs) And it's, it was a blast, like the level that she has, that Geneva Rose has in, in terms of plotting out the narrative and the suspense, like the, it is, it is like this kinetic energy between these two characters that the perspective changes between the two characters. It alternates between the two characters, which I really like, uh, when it does that. Um, but there's just this palpable energy between them that both is that doubles as this this kind of sexual chemistry between them and this just sense of foreboding that we like we're not privy to what is really going on, but we know at all times that there is something more to this story <laughs> than what than what meets the eye and the really clever and interesting thing for me was that. It's so well disguised and it is so well written and so um uh it's so um engaging uh on a character level that that sense of foreboding that sense of doom that sense of like something is is amiss here there were moments in the book where I'm like okay something's something's something is not connecting quite that well and there's something sinister going on but I'm like but wait, who is being the sinister one? <laughs> like like, what, wh- what is, where is the source of the sinister energy that's permeating this entire book? And it's just, it, it was a, it was such a fun, fun story. I, I really liked it. Um, so yeah. So anyway, that's not connected to Stephen King, but if you like Stephen King, you might enjoy that. It's, um, uh, you shouldn't have come here by Geneva Rose. So yeah.
1: That's awesome um, that you're branching yeah. out so much too to different authors and stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm really. I'm really excited that I'm that I'm doing a lot of branching out and everything. Plus, it helps that I have like freaking 300 books on like tagged as uh, to read fiction, and another 300 books that I have tagged to read nonfiction. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's it's dumb. It's dumb. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. So that's that's my check in, and uh, and yeah. So I'm excited for you to to dive into Libby and uh, presumably save some money on Audible. Um, I don't know if you're going to keep your Audible account active. Um,
1: I, I'm going anything? to because okay. uh, paid has actually gotten into it. We like um, nice. an account, basically. Nice. Um, she's been she's obsessed with the outlander books uh-huh. oh yeah and so she's like Should we have paper hard like not hardback, but uh mm-hmm. physical copies of all the books wow. and she's read through all of them once and now she was like i, just, I wanted to try the audiobooks and nice. she listened to the first one and she like it was like a whole nother experience for her because she's like oh like there's like this it's, it's like watching a movie because there's like all this performance and i was like right right like, it's great because yeah. like an actor is acting and I'm like, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. And so she's yep. been like, she has been like, she bought a set of Bluetooth headphones
0: nice, just
1: so she can listen to audible. Like she, I think she's on like the fifth book I That's think awesome. so far. So, so yeah, she's been enjoying that and um nice. I'm going to try to get her to listen to some other books besides because <laughs> sure. she's not a reader. She just is not. Yeah. And so, um, it's understandable. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I'm going to hang on to my audible for nice. that reason. So. Well,
0: Here's the thing with Audible, like, do you already have all the Outlander books on your Audible?
1: Just, just the five so okay. far, and I think there's nine books right now.
0: Okay, because I was going to say, like, you can, you can, you can pause your Audible, but you still have access to everything in your library. Oh, like, okay, yeah. So, like, the way that it works is that if you go to your account, you can pause, pause the membership. What it does is depending on what level you're at, like if you have access to like the audible plus category catalog thing, like those are those won't be available to you. Um, if you have it paused, but everything that you've used, like a credit to buy or you've purchased is in your library. Like for, you know, it's accessible. Like, uh, I've been listening to the, the gunslinger through audible. And, um, I just started today. Pale blue dot by Carl Sagan uh on audible um but yeah but the way that it works is that if you if you pause your account you pause you can pause it for 90 days at a time um so my next credit is coming next week um and i'm curious if i can pause it again after that goes through i'm not sure but anyway um but yeah but just just a just a little tip there for you okay right on yeah um okay, well, enough about all of this. <laughs> uh let's go ahead and get into our review of this section of The Gunslinger. Um once again, we're going to be covering The Slow Mutants which is the penultimate chapter of The Gunslinger. Uh this section of the book was originally published in the magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction in July of 1981. And uh and yeah, we're going to be discussing it, uh, but before we do that, uh, I will give a brief, very ill-prepared, but brief previously on the Dark Tower. Uh, Roland and Jake eventually make their way out of the desert, and Roland rescues Jake from an encounter with the succubus and tells him to hold on to the jawbone as a protective charm. Roland couples with the succubus, who is also an oracle, to learn more about his fate in the path to the Dark Tower. Uh, in the... in the um over the course of time doing that, this is where I'm going off script, by the way, if you can't tell, um, <laughs> uh, uh, in the course of coupling with the succubus, he learns that, uh, that a sacrifice will have to be made and that Jake is not long for this world and that he is going to encounter some people, uh, and numbers in his future. So, very ominous. And then we get to the slow mutants. Uh, so I'll give like a brief overview of the slow mutants and then we can get into it. We're going to do, we just go spoiler for yeah. We're going to do spoilers for this section. We're not going to spoil anything in the series going forward. If you want a more, if you want more spoilery stuff, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Okay. So the summary for the slow mutants, Jake and Roland see the man in black in, at the mountain and he tells them he will meet just one of them on the other side which aggravates Jake's fears and that Roland will either kill or abandon him. That all happens at the end of uh of the oracle in the mountains, but whatever. Um, <laughs> uh Roland and Jake make their way into the twisting tunnels within the mountain traveling on an old railway handcar. They are attacked by monstrous subterranean creatures sl- called slow mutants. Uh, Along the way, uh, Roland tells Jake about his rite of passage uh, as a child, and uh, they encounter an abandoned subway uh, train platform area. At the tunnel's exit, as the track on which they are traveling begins to break, Roland lets Jake fall into an abyss and continues his quest. Okay, so tiny how did you feel about the slow mutants this go around and where do you want to begin with us talking about this section of the gunslinger?
1: Um, I really enjoyed it. I, um, I've, I kind of had forgotten some of the pieces of this, this section or I hadn't necessarily forgotten them, but I had, I had thought they were in other parts of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, that was almost a bit of a, surprise for me uh reading it this time i kind of remembered like the plot but um there's some really nice backstory with with roland talking about his coming of age and all that um that's it's it's good for multiple reasons we kind of went over that a little bit in patreon um but yeah this this part is super satisfying because we get we get some good backstory on the characters which is like a kind of like a, a a trope in this in this uh book, you know, every every section has a little slice of what made Roland the way he is now. Mm-hmm. Um so that's always great. I love those parts, but there's also some, you know, we we move forward in the story. There's advancement of the plot. There's a uh, some development for Jake and there's uh you know, some action and some plot that take, that that moves the story along as well. So um yeah, another another great section uh, of this book.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The action in this section is is really like it's it's been a little while since we since we covered. Uh, it's been about a month since we covered the last section, um, and the thing that really stood out to me in this section is that it feels like the pacing of this book in this in this read along that we're doing in this read through that we're doing. The pacing is really really something else. It is really well done in my opinion and here it feels like this is like the this is like the climax of the novel. Like this is the big set piece of the action movie in no uncertain terms. This is the two heroes traveling through this very uh dilapidated and frightening uh horror scenario encountering mutants, having this very just like time sensitive thing with, with Jake, you know, trying to get the rocks, uh, rocks away so that they can keep going, uh, while Roland is killing all of these mutants. We have the sacrifice of Jake and it just feels, and this is going to be such a, such a hacky and goofy, uh, comparison, but it feels like this entire book, this read through of the gunslinger for me has been like (laughs) so cheesy a fireworks display, like the first couple of sections feel like, okay, we're like, oh yeah, we're seeing these explosions in the sky. We're seeing all of the colors light up and everything. And then, then as we get deeper into the fireworks, it's happening more. There's more inf- There's more stuff. And then here it's like, all right, now we're just going to go, go nuts. Um, but then, and this is, you know, foreshadowing for the next episode, but <laughs> Then we're gonna get like the big finale with with the gunslinger and the man in black um but this is like in terms of the action of the book, this is like the the climax of the action because as as crazy and awesome as the last section of the book is this that is that is more or less the denouement of the story of the gunslinger here this is just like this is King throwing his all of his tricks on the page uh to give us a satisfying like uh crescendo of the of the story and i i just really i really dug that about it this time around
1: absolutely yeah i that's exactly what i was going to say is the last section is like a long denouement yeah um and so this feels like the the culmination of what we've been leading to throughout the story The you know the the um the uh peak of, of the story here so um yeah. Yeah. um, Oh gosh, what was I going to say? Crap! I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, you're fine. (laughs) Um, Oh, we mentioned in Patreon a little bit, kind of the the presence of tension in this Mm -hmm. in this this section, and I feel like that was introduced at the climax or the end of part three. Um, because both characters come to a realization and there's kind of like no coming back from it. They, they they come to the realization that Roland's like, I'm gonna sacrifice Jake, and Jake yeah. is comes to the realization that he's going to be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that's something you can't get around. Like that's always gonna be in the air, that's gonna be present, and the way that's communicated in the story is just so good. Like um, part of it is George Guidall's performance. Cause he, mm-hmm. especially as Jake, like the way he delivers lines as Jake, he feels, I, I sort of, I think I said it in, the uh, in, in, Patreon. He, he sort of feels like a, um, a moody teenager. Who, yes. Who's just kind of like a little detached and not really into, not very into what Roland is saying and doing. He's mm-hmm. just kind of there. um, and whenever the action picks up, he kind of gets much more, uh, much more animated and emotive because he's like, well, this could be it. I could be dying right now because I'm going to die. I'm going to be sacrificed. Um, and, and I, I, love that. I love that back and forth in the story. Like that's just, and, and it, it's just beautifully written. And, and I feel like part of, part of the delivery is great too from, from George Guidall reading Roland's line too because I feel like Roland is almost like um, trying to almost like kill time or like um, he's telling these stories and talking to Jake and he's realizing that Jake isn't really has lost some respect for him and is kind of um, detached from the situation so it's almost like Roland is just rambling along trying to make repairs to this relationship that are just falling flat and he's it's, it's, it's really, it just felt that those two themes and those ideas, those attitudes of the characters felt really present in this, this read through and this performance from George Guidal. And like, I don't know that I ever picked up on that when I was reading the physical books. Um, that, that I think the two times I've been through this, I don't know that I ever picked up on that. And, um, it's fantastic. It's 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 tense. It's um, it's it's palpable tension. Like it totally, it's totally present. And I don't know that I ever experienced that until the the audio book. So I I I really appreciated that. Um, also, I mean, it's also a credit to Stephen King's writing yeah. as well. But again, it's just that that level of authenticity or additional layers that you can get from an audiobook that I'm just so. Astounded by on this read through, and you know here it is again, part three part three, two, and one. I've had the same mm. reaction because I'm picking up on things I never picked up from before. so
0: I totally agree. Um that level of kind of immersion with with George Riddell's performances is, is unmatched. Like I've said for years, like Stephen King. His books have like the strongest roster of narrators for audiobooks that I've ever seen. It is insane, um, but th- it, that is so interesting too. The the that idea that you that you kind of hit on with Jake losing that level of respect for Roland, and it's it's so interesting to me too because it feels like the trajectory of Jake's his whole his whole character arc in this story has kind of. And I think I think it's a microcosm of what King is doing in terms of this like melting pot, like stew of genres and conventions and archetypes and everything. But we have Roland who is modeled after the man with no name, Clint Eastwood. Like he is he is supposed to be like visually the the perfect archetype of the Western, like cowboy, like Western action hero. Um and what king does with jake throughout this story is really interesting to me because he's introducing him as as a character that can be viewed as you know a uh, um someone that someone that roland that someone who is going to penetrate Hol- roland's cold dead heart he is going to be someone who is going to be able to create positive change in Roland, the bond is going to be strong. And it's this, it is that classic archetype of the old weathered hero and the young, uh, the young companion and how they grow together and everything. That is like what, that is the arena that King is playing in. And in just a few, like just in a couple hundred pages, he is, eschewing that entire premise like he is he's deconstructing that that archetype that trope in such an interesting way by not only leading us toward sacrificing of the child like the death of the child in this is is a big big thing that happens but he's doing it in such a way where he has that character and the characters like protector be aware that this is coming and them not knowing what to do about it and not being willing to do anything about it. And the way that that causes a rift in their, in their relationship, especially in this chapter, obviously is remarkable. I I think it's, it's great.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, again, it's just so present in the, in in the story and I love it for that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I love that. And then also, and we can go kind of, uh, point by point through, through the, uh, through the, um, plot here and everything. But I do want to mention that it's, again, this section is, again, reinforcing this idea that I, that I've had through this reread and through the entire Dark Tower series as a whole, but the importance of storytelling and of oral like oral storytelling oral in the oral tradition is so present in all of these books in this entire series i would like there is a case to be made that that is that is one of if not the most important thing that king is communicating in in the entire dark tower universe is the importance of storytelling and here we talked about it with, you know, him talking about toll and, and, uh, and, and, uh, oh, what was her name? Uh, the, the lady in toll, the, um, religious lady. Oh my God. Anyway. Um, so, uh, thank you for listening to tower junkies, but anyway, um, <laughs> uh, but no, uh, uh, Sylvia piston, Piston. Um, anyways, yes. yeah. So, all of that, telling stories about hacks the hacks the uh, the chef and everything, hacks the cook, all of this, and then here we get his rite of passage with Court, him, him doing, you know, his gunslinger thing, and him performing in this rite of passage and everything, and even before that, we get um, him telling Jake about. Uh, I think he and Cuthbert were uh, kind of not spying, but they were being kids and they were just watching, uh, discreetly watching the adults in their like Kamala, um, uh, ritual or whatever. They're, they're, um, in the great hall thing, but there's a word I'm looking for the, um, uh, traditions and everything. And that's exposing how Stephen to was cuckolded by Martin who was with uh, Gabriella. uh Anyway, it's just interesting the way that storytelling plays such a pivotal role in this book. I'll say that. Um, and how the Russian nesting doll story structure is uh, still kind of present in a way. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. The, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, yeah, the backstories are some of the best parts of, mm-hmm. of the whole series. Um, I, um, I really love the, this is like one of my favorite backstories is Roland's coming of age where he faces court. Um, Mm -hmm. I, again, I kind of forgot that the predecessor uh, to, to that event or kind of the onus for that event happening is him discovering that his mother slept with Martin. I, again, I thought that was in a different part of the story Mm -hmm. for some reason. I, I, and, but it makes sense. You know, he sees Martin who j- obviously just, you know, uh, hooked up with his mom. Right. And Martin treats his mother poorly, treats him poorly, mm. seems to be in, in, uh, control of her abuses her and treats him like crap, tells him to go enjoy his hand and stuff like yeah. that. And is obviously reading his mind or something, you know? Um, um, It makes sense because that, you know, when you're 14 years old, you, you, you're a kid still. And he basically is the equivalent of a gunslinger throwing a tantrum. Uh, Yeah. You know, and, and I understand like, I, you know, people have done crazier things when they, when they find they do crazy things when they discover something so horrific and so terrible. And, um, I, I love that, that progression of, You know two two huge two huge events in his life are so closely linked and are um him going through his rite of passage is directly a result of his mother's actions and and uh and martin's actions um i i really just kind of love that um and and just the the description and the details of his fight with court and i i love love the freaking dialogue i I cord is one of my favorite characters and he's so seldom in this story he has Mm. obviously quite a few lines but like he doesn't come up a ton and i i I just love the way he i love the way he talks and and i love how he can jump between calling them maggots Mm. and then showing them respect in like the same sentence um and he has this obviously he's uh, oozing with wisdom for mm-hmm. these young boys. And um, it, it just, you know, it, the, there's a, a link there to being in sports when I was younger and, you know, you have like <laughs> yeah. a, a tough coach or something. I think that's maybe the second time I've linked as the the, <laughs> the jock in me, the second time I've mm-hmm. la- made like a sports reference. But um, that, I mean, that's kind of what Cord is. You know, he seems like a bit of just like a tough coach, a real, mm-hmm. a real tough, abusive coach. Um, yeah. and, and to, I, I
0: can relate to that too, especially like freshman year, how rough it was for like the coach to, you know, just yell at me to put the, put the cones down since I was the manager for the football team. Yeah.
1: You were the starting manager, starting manager. Yeah. I remember that.
0: Just daydreaming, looking up at the sky while you guys were sweating your asses. off. <laughs> right. Good times. Um, anyway, sorry. <laughs>
1: No, you're good um no I'm mean, sorry I, for I that love... in the past <laughs> <laughs> nice um i i just i i love from from the moment that Roland goes to courts check his home, or cottage and kicks the door and it's just mm-hmm. like i just i love the the pedal on the gas that is that story and just the way it builds up um and the the di- the back and forth dialogue is just some of the best in the whole series, I think um. And, uh, one thing I think I had forgotten was that, um, I I always had this image in my head or this uh, idea in my head that Roland is a bit of a, I don't know if prima donna is the right word or just Mm -hmm. kind of a, um, has a bit of a chip on his shoulder because of the whole David, the Hawk Mm -hmm. thing where he, it's almost like he didn't technically cheat, but he sort of massaged the rules to his favor And, you know, he might be judged or looked at a certain way. It's like, oh, yeah, he's the youngest gunslinger to ever earn his guns at the age of 14. It's like, well, yeah, but he used a hawk. And like it was not necessarily cheating, but kind (laughs) of cheating. But uh, so I kind of saw it that way. But um, I think that all kind of gets blown out of the water after this listen through when I was listening Mm -hmm. to this because when it's all said and done and Roland has defeated court court is laying on the ground not dying but like close to it yeah and he is in full approval of what Roland did like he doesn't he doesn't make any qualifications like oh yeah you beat me but you used he used a hawk like he kind of cheated. He mm-hmm. could have just used the knife, or, you know, he doesn't do that. And he's actually, he shows him the proper respect, calls him gunslinger, and and es- essentially compliments him mm-hmm. and is even smiling at him and, and, and showing him respect and telling him, hey, don't let this, you know, don't let this change anything or, you know, use this, be, meet, meet this, this, this mythic, um, mythicism that's about to surround you embrace it and be it and live up to it kind of thing is essentially what he's what i kind of took away from his Mm. his uh his dialogue and his uh his sayings toward or how he how he reacted to to roland defeating him in this um again another another perspective that i kind of gained on this read-through or kind of changed how i how i thought of this Mm -hmm. coming-of-age um rite of passage story so
0: that yeah that's really interesting too i'm i'm going to touch on on something about that in particular here in a second but also something that that struck me this read through and like it's been a few years since i've i've read or listened to the gunslinger um i don't remember if i communicated this in any of the other episodes but this like the rite of passage this scene happens far later in the book than i remembered it happening and i like that it's juxtaposed with jake like his impending sacrifice and everything, and the, like I understand structurally why it's this late, why it's in this part of it, but it's just interesting since it's such a big moment not only not only for this novel but in just the whole course of of Roland's backstory in general, it's like it's a very important part of his of his story, it's his rite of passage, it's his coming of age um so that's that I thought that it happened earlier in the book, but something about that the the way that court is written, like I think that I have taken him for granted as a character for a while, um, like when you said that he's one of your favorite characters, i kind of I was kind of like, I can understand that, but yeah, I mean, I can understand that he's probably not one of my favorites, but now talking about it, I'm kind of piecing together how kind of really interesting he is as a character because. On the surface, you can like you can say like, oh yeah, he's very abusive toward the kids. Like it's it's built into it. It's it's uh, it's like a it's like a um, military boot camp kind of like drill sergeant like Arlie Ermy type of thing. Um, and and that's definitely definitely like on the surface, that is the court character. He is like he's calling him the maggots and everything. He does switch around. He does have like. He's a teacher. Like he does switch around, and he, <clears throat> like he, jeez, <clears throat> he trains with the carrot and the stick and everything. Um, but something that stood out to me this time in talking it out and everything is how subtle his teaching is, or or how aware of things he is. Because w- in the in the first flashback where Roland is talking about um, uh, seeing Martin and going and and uh going to his mother's apartments and seeing 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 her with with Martin and her asking him like hey um you know how how are your studies going how's how's your training going and everything and then uh he he either he or king say in in the in the book they say like yeah he was never really that good with uh he wasn't as sharp or as as smart as as Cuthbert or he wasn't as gifted in the touch as elaine is or anything and kind of the overall feel and vibe of that is that he's just not that strong of a student <laughs> like and that is an interesting an interesting thing to kind of have with with the the fact that he is the last gunslinger he's like he is a mythical hero basically but when he is when he goes to court and he's like, hey, yeah, I'm 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 challenging you and everything. And then Court's like, Yeah, Yo, you're too early. You're, at least by two years, you're too early for this. So I'm gonna give you one chance. You can cry off, you can not do it, uh, and that'll be good. And then uh he's he's like, No, we're doing this. And then after the after the battle, after the combat and everything, Court has that moment where he's just like Yeah, I knew, I knew that this was going to happen. I knew that you were worthy. I knew that you were going to be able to do this. And like, just the level of, I don't know if I'd say subtlety, but the level of layers to Court's teaching where he's like, yeah, I, I see the value in this person. Like, even though he's going to, he's, he's kind of following his emotions in order to challenge me two years early and two years previous, two years earlier than his father did at his age. I still am going, I'm not going to scoff off at this, like scoff at this, or I'm not going to let him fail. And when, when he succeeds, if he succeeds, I will, I will be there to, you know, show appreciation for him and, and nurture him into his next stage or whatever. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I just, I just thought that was just a really interesting a uh, piece of characterization for Court, who by and large is not—he's obviously not a big character in the series, but uh, right. he reverberates through the series in in some pretty big ways. So, yeah,
1: absolutely. And again, I, I relate to it because I didn't—I mm-hmm. mean, I never had a—I never had a coach that was treated me like Court. Right. But you know, I've had, I had coaches that could be tough on me sometimes, and mm. I to this day will still remember stuff that coaches told me during. I mean, that's the closest I can get to comparing myself, to, <laughs> right. uh, you know, being, being a, uh, gunslinger, but, right. um, yeah, like it, that's, that's, that stuff sticks with you. I mean, that's, mm. that's the best way I can put it is that's, that's why, why I value sports. I'm not trying to go off on a tangent here, mm. but that's, that's the value I see in participating in sports is you learn lessons that reverberate, reverberate through your entire life. Um, and this feels similar to that. Like, mm. uh, uh, Roland thinks of Court often for that reason. Yeah, um, and it's, it's it's interesting how Court will, like you were saying, he's he's a prick, but he's also can be tender at times, and mm-hmm. he can weave a lesson or something into anything. Like he 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 will just toss a little nugget of wisdom at these kids that really makes you think and. The kids may not absorb it at the time, but when they're older, that stuff's like, oh, this is what Court was trying to say all those years ago. And man, I've I've been there. Uh, yeah. uh, Samezies for me. So <laughs> Yeah, um,
0: and and to go into just a quick tangent about football and everything in sports is that um, <clears throat> for the listeners, I was the football manager and the water boy in freshman year. and then I played football sophomore year and then I did not play junior or senior year because I do not like being yelled at and it, it makes me (laughs) cry. Um, So also I was lazy and I didn't really care for sports. So anyway, so uh, yeah, I just, I think that it's important backstory for Roland and I think it's, it does, it goes a long way to connect to who he is as a person now Um, in, in, in such a way that only King can do with his, his beautiful, beautiful words. Um, yeah. And there, uh, there was something else I was going to say about that. Oh, um, also this is just, this is just kind of like, um, uh, broad things here. But, um, when he's when Roland is talking to Jake and he is having, like he's, he's giving like little scant details here and there. Like there is reference to him, um, being, uh, of the line of Eld and how there used to be a king named Eld, but now the time of Kings have passed. There's no Kings anymore. It's just like now, now my father, like at this point in the story and my backstory, my father was like the last like leader of the, of the light. And, It's the way that that um, connects also with Roland as a kid thinking that, yeah, um, I am, uh, I'm going to be the first, I'm going to be the first of my friends to be a gunslinger. And then like, even in that like brief moment, he's like, and he also had that needling thought that he's also going to be the last, which I just think is just beautiful, beautiful storytelling on King's part
1: oh for sure yeah i totally agree it's it's funny the or it's uh i loved the um the metamorphosis he goes through where it's like it's truly a rite of passage like Mm. you know he's he's acting more like a man as soon as he defeats court and you know he goes to the brothel to Mm -hmm. lie with a woman yes um you know (laughs) he's he's truly he like kind of almost like barks some orders at his friend's after like go get the nurses, get two nurses and hmm. and stuff like that. It's see he, like he's immediately changed. Like it's a true rite yeah. of passage. I appreciated that that uh, that writing is as well. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, so in quote unquote present day, um, we have <laughs> Jake and Roland finding the railroad track uh, with the hand card. The thing that I didn't mention in the uh, Patreon segment, and I'm not going to speak too too in depth about it because technically it's not spoilers but it it is it is in relation to something later in the series but um what i found interesting in this read through of it or this listen of this section was that um when they find the 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 handcart and they start pumping the handcart to move it uh it starts speaking it it says like good job or whatever you know uh keep going good job all that make sure to drink your whatever Um, I like I paused that and I grabbed my copy of the original edition of it because I was I was curious if it if that is in the original or if that was in the revised edition. And sure enough, it is only in the revised edition, which I just think is an interesting detail to kind of have Uh, have King kind of connect the the technology in this in this book to stuff that happens later, like in terms of. North Central Positronics and a whole vast number of things that happen, um, right? So I just thought that was a nice little kind of tidbit of uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, it's um, funny you
1: picked up on that. I didn't realize that was only in the revised edition.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, cool. yeah. So then they get so so the way that they kind of go through the the subway thing. Uh, they are pushing the hand car. They're pumping it and everything. They're going through the through the railways. Um, it's dark. It, like when when they describe the slow mutants, um, as I think that like they were they're described as like subterranean creatures that live un like without daylight and everything. It just it remind like it made me want to see want to watch the descent again. <laughs> uh, which creeps me out to no end but that was that was what yeah. i was visualizing uh, this time around.
1: Um, nice. Yeah. They and, um isn't it described that they like don't they like glow green? I Did think I so. I misread that. I think they
0: I I think so. I think I think part of them glow i think i'm not sure. But yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm a little I'm a little unclear on that but yeah. and some of them i i just i love the description again the descriptive writing by king cuz it um he he builds the environment as well like i love how i think when they first encounter one of the slow mutants they he describes the smell of like just a smell of dampness and wetness yeah. um and then they see the green glowing and um at one point when they're attacked the one one of them that attacks like its limbs have been replaced with like tentacles that have suckers on them mm-hmm. and stuff and Like man, he's going. He's going all out on the description of these things. It's bananas. Um, (laughs) And they're just—it's the
0: fireworks display. Just that. it's, yeah. It's so awesome.
1: Totally. Yeah.
0: Um, The action set piece of that, where Roland is shooting at them, mixed with Jake's kind of inherent fear that Roland is going to sacrifice him or leave him and everything. Like there's a moment where after, after the threat subsides a little bit, Jake's like, I thought you were going to leave me. I thought like, and, and to your point about him being kind of, um, uh, not, I guess, bratty teenager, an emotional teenager is like, he's, he's angry. He's just like, I thought you were going to leave me. Like this is the level to which my, my brain has adapted to being under the, under the safety umbrella in air quotes of Roland Deschain, <laughs> that at any turn I could die. Not because he's not, he's not capable of protecting me, but because he is willing to sacrifice me to get to his end. Um, which is just such interesting character development for Jake specifically for him to kind of have that in his mind this entire time. And then obviously it all, it ends up with him dying, um, which we'll talk about in a bit. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I just really like that. Yeah. And piece. he's,
1: another aspect of it is just real quickly that he's trapped. Like he can't, yeah. It's not like he can go back, you know, he can't, he can't get back to his world obviously, but it's not like he can like just turn around and go back the other direction. He would be, right. he still needs Roland. Like he can't survive without Roland. And as uh, so it's like, well, I could, I could leave, but I would die anyway. So I might as well, stay here and that's never explicitly said but it's just implied you know he
0: can't well he He said that he that that happened in the last section at the end of the last section where he says that he's like he like they have that conversation where he's like i can i can just go about my own way and and figure things out and then roland calls his bluff and everything and i like how that's kind of reversed in a sense in this section in this chapter because roland has that moment that i can't remember if i said it in this or in patreon but he has that moment where he thinks like as they're facing the man in black he thinks that you know we could just go like me me and jake we could cry off we can go i can i can be with him like we can we can uh we can be we can live our lives free of the pursuit of the man in black for years and then pick it up later Like we can pick it up later um, and and find him after Jake has grown up a little bit, after we've bonded a little bit, but he can't, Roland is not capable of doing that because the pull to the tower into the man in black is way too strong. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just like the kind of the reversal of that or the, or the way that that dilemma comes across to Roland as it also did to Jake earlier in, in the previous chapter. I think it's a good symmetry.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Um, one of the big things that happens after the big set piece with the slow mutants and everything, they reach a subway station. Um, this is a great vivid, uh, kind of look into the world that has moved on for Roland how did you feel about the descriptions of this decayed, uh, probably like radioactively decayed um, uh, subway station environments and the idea of the the old people uh, and, and the way that it's so far in the past for Roland that he doesn't even understand what a subway is. He doesn't understand what, like, what could have, like the description of seeing the rails and just visualizing, like, bullets being, like massive bullets being transported or something um, it's just really interesting so what did you think of this uh, part
1: yeah um, I i don't know this is maybe the first time since we started this project um, including the the previous three segments we've done on the Dark Tower this is one of the first times where I was sort of I sort of glossed over a little bit I was oh, like I don't and I'm not saying it's bad I'm just saying that I wanted to keep going. Like Mm -hmm. I want, I wanted to move, I wanted the plot to move forward to get to the, the climax of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I was, I was a little glossed over during the segment. I felt like it was a little, um, not forced or out of place, but it just, it didn't, it felt out of pace for me, I guess. Okay. Um, and that's just my reaction again. I'm not saying it's an issue with the book. I just, that's how I reacted to it. Mm -hmm. So um I, I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was eerie for sure. Um the especially the use of gas, like you know, was this was this like a, were these people victims of a war? Was this like a genocide? Was this an accident? Like what happened here? Um it was it's it's interesting for sure, but um in any any kind of depth I think of the meaning of that was of this moment was kind of lost on me, unfortunately. So I don't have a real strong opinion on it, I guess. Sure.
0: You know, that's interesting. And that makes sense, I I guess, especially since it came directly after like a big set piece. And like you said, we're kind of, we're in the rush to get to the end. We're in, we're in, we're in the end game of, of the gunslinger at this point. Um, for me, I just think that the detail of the setting of it is, pretty interesting and, and remarkable, especially since we've gone through, we've gone through towns in, in places that are inhabited in terms of, well, toll and, uh, and, and Brown's farm. That's basically it. And then the way station with Jake. Um, but now we're seeing like, after having gone through some flashbacks with, with Roland's childhood, We're now seeing a section of the world that has moved on. We're seeing a section of of a place that we have for us some physical uh, um, physical um, familiarity with, where whereas previously we have like you know the use of "Hey Jude" and. Uh, some colloquialisms that the man in black uses from our, from like our, uh, like some idioms that he uses from from our universe and everything. But here we have like a a a description of a scenario or a place that is absolutely horrific. I mean, it's a subway station that, by all accounts, seems to be. Post like like thousands of years later is was I think how uh, Roland described it, but thousands of years after some kind of biological warfare, some kind of end end world sort of uh, uh, destruction, and the way that it's described as like the person being like mummified and how they just disintegrate when um when when Roland touches them and everything. And then just the the casual conversation, or maybe not so casual, but the conversation about how Roland says, like, yeah, the old people had a gas, they made a gas, and, you know, the, that's what happened. And then Jake being a product of, you know, our real world is like, yeah, they probably used it in a war and killed a bunch of people and killed everyone. It's just like, I don't know, I just feel like there is a there's a level of... Uh, vibrance that that gives to the story in a different way than what we have come, th- than what we've experienced in the previous chapter. So I, that's a long winded way of saying I really liked it <laughs> and I dug it a lot.
1: It's very matter of fact how they, how they talk about it. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. It's an, it is, it is odd from a, hayden's standpoint i guess the way yeah. they react to it yeah
0: yeah and it is kind of incongruous with the whole fireworks display al- like uh analogy that i've been making <laughs> so like because it is like post uh, post fireworks for this scenario uh like far 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 post it but um right but yeah um so then tiny there are other worlds than these and Jake Chambers is sacrificed uh, by Roland for the pursuit of the tower. How did you feel this time around with Jake uh, being let go and falling into the empty abyss, the chasm, uh, after saying that iconic line to Roland, go then, there are other worlds than these? How did you feel about it this time around?
1: Um, it's it's pretty funny because um, that's obviously one of my favorite lines in the whole book. Um one of the iconic lines of the book. Um, and this is another first uh, on this, on this project. Um, again, this is my first time doing the audiobook and I flat out did not like George Guidal's delivery of the line. I, um, I honestly felt like it was a little bit flat
0: here. I, I will I say,
1: to me i don't know that it was flat what I, I i don't know i i i feel like that line should be full of sorrow and like ab- acceptance like a solemn acceptance of the situation by by jake that's how i always interpreted it like like him just kind of looking up longingly or solemnly at roland and saying go then there are other worlds than these but George Guido, Guido was like kind of shouting it and was like, go then there are other worlds than these. And I'm like, Oh, what? I don't know. It, it seemed strange to me. I didn't, it, yeah. I, it obviously does. It does it doesn't ruin it for me. I'm not going to say that, but it, it was just, um, it almost took me out of it a little bit, to be honest. Um, it just, it just did not seem on par with how I've always envisioned that line being delivered. Um, and I hate to say that because I've done nothing but praise his performance and everything right um but it, yeah I just I, I feel like it was it should be a solemn affair and it didn't come across that way at all when he delivered it um, I still enjoyed it, and you know it's it's still a phenomenal moment and the and again the entirety of the story it's still potent and uh great but um yeah i was i was i guess maybe I'm just a little disappointed in that part that performance anyways um i still love the line it's a perfect line um you know the 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 most iconic line from the the book is the man in black fled across the de- desert and the gunslinger followed mm. and i've always liked that of course but i've always preferred go then there are other worlds than these this that's always been probably my favorite line from the series yeah. and uh and uh yeah to have it sort of um not meet my expectations i guess in the audiobook was pretty disappointing i guess
0: yeah, I I get that. Um it, do, it it lacks that emotional kind of pull from it that you get when you read it physically. Um because I I like it feels like it's such a pivot well it is a pivotal moment unquestionably. It is it is a defining moment for the Roland character like for for the series as a whole. It is it is a big big thing. Um, the way that George Guidel in the audiobook delivers that just feels like it is, I don't know if the intention is to communicate a certain, um, sense of defeatism on Jake's part or, uh, like, like fatalism that he's just like, I, there's no way I can get out of, th- I'm done, I'll go then, there are other worlds than these, um, it it just lacks a lot of like subtext to that um mm-hmm. there
1: but yeah it it almost seemed to me like and, and you know this is not a bad interpretation of of it but it seemed to me it was almost heroic like in a war movie where the guy's like you guys go on without me I'll hold yeah. them off like it kind of had that that feeling to it um and that's cool in its own way and it's um it's not bad. Like, I don't dislike that, but I just, I had always envisioned it in such a different way. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, maybe, maybe that's whoever directed this audiobook. Maybe that mm-hmm. was their interpretation. I don't know if it was George Guido. I don't know if that's what Stephen King originally intended it to be like. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. Um, I'd, I'd be curious if if anyone else had a similar reaction. Uh, to it, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, maybe I'm being too harsh on it too. I It could be I had it, I had it built up in my head too much. Honestly, and, that uh, could
0: be it on on for me too. Honestly, yeah.
1: uh, Um
0: But it is because I think in the context, it is like it is, it is one of the most famous lines of the entire series. Like it, like you said, it's second to the man in black fled across the desert. The, the did I say Phantom Black? The man in black <laughs> fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. Um, but it is supposed to be the emotional crux of the story. But also in listening to it this time around and reading the books, it really kind of feels like there's an emphasis leading up to this point on Jake being aware that he is not long for this world. He is aware that there is a certain level of inevitability to him, to his demise. And I think that there is a read of it that, like I said, it could be that defeatist or fatalist kind of reaction to it or that kind of acceptance of it immediately. Um, but when physically reading it, there's just so much more importance that's given to it on a personal level for me and, and for you as well. So, so yeah, I don't know. Same
1: same for me. Samesies. Yeah.
0: Yep. But (laughs) after Jake's, uh, Jake's little tumble, Um, Roland is now going, like he is, he's stepping out, he's going up to the man in black and then we're going to get, uh, the finale of the gunslinger. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Are you, are you excited about that?
1: (laughs) I'm really excited. Um, because yeah, this is again, more, more, uh, iconic, uh, iconic moments from the book. Um, I, I haven't looked it up yet. How, um, how long, how long is this segment? Is it I want to say it's short. Is it like thirty minutes? Forty five oh, yeah. minutes? Yeah, it's
0: like forty five minutes, I think. Um That's what I thought. But yeah. but still
1: for like a like a like that's mm-hmm. huge. Um and I remember it being, you know, it's a it's a conversation. I remember it being like a, basically just a conversation, a palaver around a literally mm-hmm. around a campfire. Yeah. Um and um I remember some of the themes and elements of it, but um I'm just literally stoked as shit to <laughs> see the listen to the performance like i'm oh absolutely i i have a feeling despite my reaction to the go then there are other worlds than these lines i i have a feeling it's gonna uh, deliver so many new themes and levels and layers for me personally yeah. hearing it in in that con hearing it that way and and, and as a performance as opposed to just reading words on a page. So I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Nice. Nice. And we will of course be talking about it in the next episode of the podcast, um, where we're going to be finishing up the, the gunslinger. Um, and then I think we're going to do a separate episode after that. That's just a wrap up for the gunslinger. Um, but yeah, we're almost done tiny with the first book of this, uh, of this little project. How do you feel now that we're almost to the, uh, almost to the end? Of the first book. Awesome. Um,
1: of an eight book it's, series. It's awesome, but it's, <laughs> I was going to say, it's awesome, but it's also really deceptive because this <laughs> is not only one out of eight books, but it's the shortest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's the, so, as they yeah, say, in the,
0: yeah, as they say in the book, it's the end of the beginning. So,
1: yeah. Right. It's, uh, it's kind of just scratching the surface.
0: Yep. Yep. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so next time on the show, we're gonna be doing the Gunslinger Chapter Five, The Gunslinger and the Man in Black. Uh Tiny, before we go, is there anything you anything we want to say more to the people listening and everything?
1: Any any no, overall thoughts set. on this section? Um overall thoughts on the section, again, great. Like I I I'm just loving how I'm getting something new from this read through. Um I feel like that's that's just a characteristic of these books because mm-hmm. every even, even when I read the physical copies, it's the same way you get mm-hmm. you get something new every time you read it. And yeah, um, I hope it's, I hope it's the same when I read it for the seventh time or the 10th time when I'm an old man, you know, yeah. I, I hope it, I hope it keeps doing that. So.
0: Yeah. Same, same here. Same here. Well said. Um, awesome all right cool well we are gonna end the episode now um so uh thank you guys so much for listening let us know what you thought about this chapter of the gunslinger and once again check out patreon if you're uh willing to to give a little bit of dough uh patreon.com slash obsessive viewer we have a ton of content there also uh follow me on tiktok um (laughs) ov podcasts um uh yeah so i I post a bunch of stuff there so I, i'll probably post like a a little tiktok dance thing or whatever when we finish the gunslinger um but <laughs> uh but yeah but if you're listening to this because you saw one of my tiktoks let us know uh matt at com. that's also where you can contact us with any thoughts you have on the episodes or uh anything How, what was your high school football experience like um so uh, again that's matt at obsessiveviewer.com i'm gonna start playing us out uh but yeah yeah uh check out our other shows obsessive viewer uh where we just did uh two episodes one for oppenheimer one for barbie so we did the whole barb uh, barbenheimer uh thing there so check that out and uh and yeah check out uh, anthology my solo podcast uh thank you guys so much for listening long days and pleasant nights
1: and may you have twice the number
0: and now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon potpourri episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. She is kind of running things. She is she's roped into this um to this potentially supernatural um story and case and everything. And what I found really just refreshing at this at this point in the Holly Gibney verse is that this is now I think the first time that we see her doing the investigative legwork. She's doing parts of the investigation on her own. She doesn't have Pete Huntley. She doesn't have Jerome. She doesn't have anyone to really play off of. She is doing the legwork. Um, And I really like that as a sort of maybe not passing the torch quality from Bill Hodges or anything, but it is this, there is this ephemeral sort of, um, I guess, passing of the torch thing where she is now the head of of the investigation she is now the person who is going to be a focal character in in the search for the truth of what happened
1: this podcast was edited and produced by matt hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com you can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts for exclusive bonus content including reviews commentaries and b-roll episodes you can subscribe to our patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.